The following audio is from Life Centre Church. For more information, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. We're going to get into uh, our series again uh, this week. We are in Matthew chapter 5, so if you have your Bibles or your journals, please turn there. Um, last week, uh, we started a, I guess, a bit of a prelude to our, our sermons that we want to do every week for a while. Uh, the idea behind this is to kind of say, hey, when we read this book, when we read the Bible, uh, we want to say we're reading God's Word. And so we want to make a distinction between when God speaks and when the preacher speaks. Uh, it's not that I'm not amazing and stuff and really, you know, and you all love to hear me preach. Um, thanks, guys. Really appreciate that. That was like a moment there for you to kind of give affirmation, but that's fine. Um, what it is to say is that the preacher does not have the authority. God does. And therefore, everything that is said, everything that you experience, you're supposed to experience it and filter it through God's Word and assess it to God's Word. And this is, this is kind of the, the idea of personal responsibility so that you are not led into error. Because there, there is an opportunity for any preacher around the world to say the Bible says something of which it does not say. And then people are led astray. And so our hope is to not do that. So before every time we, we preach, we're going to say this and I'm going to say amen. And I'm going to ask that you would agree with it and say amen back. Can you do that with me? Okay. This is God's word. He is who he says he is. He's done what he says he has done. And he will do what he says he will do. Amen? Amen. amen. Let's read. I'm going to read the whole section. Uh, of the Beatitudes from 1 down to 12. It says this, it says, Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So last week we opened up the series highlighting the fact that Jesus is here to inaugurate his kingdom and he is teaching about the kingdom. And in that kingdom there are those that believe, there are those that are seeking and exploring, and then there are those that are the scribes and Pharisees. They're the ones who think they know it all, and in many ways they're actually opposing the, the gospel of Jesus that he's presenting. And so Jesus uh, comes away from the crowd. He goes up onto this mountain and he starts to teach his disciples and those who of the crowd start to come and follow him what the kingdom is about. How do you enter it? What is expected of members of the kingdom? What is the kingdom about? And it blows my mind just how many times he says blessed. It, it's, it's this idea that you might think you're blessed, but you don't know blessing until you have met the real God and start to walk with Him in His kingdom. That's true blessing. Um, I, I'm, I'm not against the health and wealth gospel. If it's saying that what it means to be healthy and wealthy 
is to follow Jesus, to actually know God. If you're saying that the blessed life, the best life you can live is not possessions, it's not having that job and having that amount of money and having that car, it's to know God and for God to know you. If, if that's what it means to be blessed, I'm all for that gospel. Because this is what this says. It says, this is what the good life looks like. The good life looks like, and then he goes through and he starts to explain, this is what the true good life is. And so he speaks of this kingdom, this new administration, where it looks different than what you think. And what Jesus is doing is Jesus is showing the people that he is here to redeem and restore his kingdom and bring everything back to shalom, the way it is supposed to be, where everything is as it ought to be. Now, this kingdom is an upside-down kingdom. And so a lot of what he teaches is like countercultural. It's like so many of these people were not expecting this, particularly that last section where you heard about persecution. We're going to get to that. There's a sense of like, oh, I, I, I didn't think that would be a part of the experience. I thought it would just all be, all be great. Who here has seen uh, the show Ninja Warrior? Hands up. Don't be shy. Hands up. Oh, good, good, good. Um, if you've seen the, the show Ninja Warrior or you've watched any documentary about someone doing mountain climbing, um, what, what you notice is that there is an, there is an end point. Uh, in Ninja Warrior, it's the red button that sits up that final curve climb that they got to get to, and they get up there and they, they bang it, and it's like, yes, we made it to the end. For the mountain climber, he's looking at some peak that he wants to get to, and eventually as he climbs up there, he gets up there and it's like, I have made it. And what you notice in, in both those examples is that the, the journey towards that end is not a straight line that's just up. There's detours. And in fact, there's declines in order to get up. And so I think as you, as you look at these Beatitudes, what we see is the first three that we looked at last week are like a decline. They're a descend. It's a, the, the beginning of the journey to go to the mountain to which we can see the kingdom is, is Jesus is going to take us first down. And so we, we saw the fact that we are to be poor of spirit, that we are to be people who would mourn over our sin, and we would be men and women who are meek. We've been humbled. And so what I love about the Beatitudes in this part of the story is he doesn't leave us down low, though. What he starts to do is, hey, that's how it begins, because now you realize that he is the king and you are not, but he is the king who is with his people. And so now what he does, he starts to shift and get our eyes to look up. This is where we're going, though. So, so the beginning is kind of this decline. Okay, Realize who you are. Acknowledge your sin. Acknowledge your shortfalls. Be humbled by that. And now he's going to say, but now this is where we're going. Come with me and pursue these things. Let's go after this. And I love this because often we think of humility as being men and women who are just like satisfied. So, okay, well, that's it. I guess I'm just poor old me. I'm just a nobody. It's like Jesus says, no, 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 that's not what I'm talking about. Recognize who I am and then let's go. I love the new saying that the cool kids say, let's go. It's like, man, that's awesome. So he starts off in this next section, and I'm really going to focus just on three today. I'll touch on the others but I just really want to focus on this, uh, this one, the fact that we are pure in heart, and now I'm going to look at the, the idea of persecution. So it says this in verse 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Do you see how he's now moving us towards something? Blessed are those who go after this, for they shall be satisfied. 
Who here as a kid um, loved going to the beach with, with mum and dad and as a family? Any, any beachies? Okay, we've got a couple of ninja warriors, a couple of beachies. This is good. Um, I remember as a kid, uh, we'd go to the beach and me and my brothers, I, I grew up with, with four brothers and one sister. And we would, as soon as we hit the beach, we were in the water all day. That's why I had a melanoma cut out <laughs> last year. It's like we were just... Pasty white guy was just in the beach, in the water, swimming, enjoying the salt water. And, and so sort of the afternoon just flies by. And then all of a sudden you get to the afternoon and you come out of the water and you come to your parents and you are starving. And you are thirsty. You are desperate for water. And for us as a family, what we do is we'd eventually walk up to the beach. We are often at Mooloolaba. We'd go get fish and chips. We'd come sit back on the grassy hill. We'd sit there. We'd drink our Coke. We'd eat our fish and chips and then we'd finish it off with ice cream. I remember sitting on that, that grassy hill, looking over the beach, the wind blowing in my face, eating that ice cream and going, blessed, blessed am I, for I am now satisfied. We know what it's like to be hungry. We know what it's like to have a hard day's work in the sun or go to the beach and in the sun and then you get filled and you get satisfied. And it's something, it's like a beautiful moment. You're like, ah, this is better. This is what he is saying happens to those who pursue righteousness. There is something that it does to your soul that you go, I am content. I've tasted something which I've never tasted before and it is satisfying. And I love the rewards that Jesus puts out in, in his Beatitudes. This is like, yeah, I, I want to taste this. I want to I enjoy this. Now remember, where is Jesus? He's up on a hill. He was with a crowd, eventually moves away from the crowd. He, he walks up onto the mountainside. His disciples come with him. The crowds start to come with him. Kids are everywhere. Everybody's playing. And I love what Jesus does. Jesus does a play on how they're probably feeling in that moment. They haven't brought lunch because they weren't expecting to do this. They haven't brought water supplies because they weren't expecting to be out all day. But now they're hungry. Now they're thirsty. And Jesus just goes, you know that feeling that you have? That's a physical feeling. That can be filled. But there is a deeper one. There is a soul feeling. There is a spiritual need that you have. And I can and I will satisfy it. In the kingdom is how that gets satisfied. And so he says, how do we get satisfied? Well, we hunger and thirst after righteousness. What is righteousness? Righteousness, I think, has two sides of the same coin. And depending on where you are in the Bible is kind of the one side it's focusing on or the other. But we shouldn't really separate them, okay? Righteousness essentially is being approved. It's a sense of having rightness in a relationship with somebody. It's to be received, to be accepted. So if you think about just some practical things that we would all experience, you go for that job interview. You submit that exam or that essay or that uh, assignment. Um, you go on that first date. Um, you ask them if they will marry you. Holler at me. What do all of these have in common? You sit there in anticipation for the response. Will I be approved? Will I get the second date? Is she going to text me back? Is she not? It's been a few days. How many days do I wait? Was I really that bad? Oh my God, I'm pretty sure I, I put on deodorant. I smell pretty good. I did the best I could. Will she approve me? Does she want another one of these dates? 
do, do they approve that tender? I, I put in for that. I, I put the quote in. Will they come back and go, yes, we, we approve your quote, not somebody else's? How did I go in the results? What, what, what were my, what's the new system? ATAR, is it, I think it's called, something like that. Am I correct? Okay, ATAR, what's my ATAR result? Uh, what's my university result? Did I pass that subject? Do I have to redo it? There is a sense in which to be, that's what it means to be approved, is we are waiting to see, have I been received? Have I been accepted? Or will I be rejected? And so the kingdom talks about righteousness in the sense that God approves you. God welcomes you in. He receives you. He doesn't reject you. He says, congratulations, welcome in. And there is a sense in which when you're not a Christian, you wonder whether God will accept you. I had this before I was a Christian. My non-Christian friends still have this. I have friends who say to me that they won't come to church no matter how much I invite them because they're worried that when they come, lightning will strike. And I just remind them, it didn't when I arrived. It didn't when Carly arrived. It didn't when my kids arrived. And that's probably when it should have. When our family arrived, that's probably when it should have happened and didn't because that's not how it works in the kingdom. And they're worried that they don't measure up to this being who they don't know, right? But, but to be in the kingdom is to know you're approved. Zachariah speaks of the fact that he sings songs over his people now. This is a good thing to know when you are a Christian that you are fully approved by God. He loves you. You cannot lose it. You cannot get more of it. You have it. His grace and mercy is towards you. You cannot lose it. You cannot get more of it. It's yours. And so there's a sense in freedom. And this is why it's satisfying because you're like, oh, I don't have to keep working so hard to make him happy. Did anybody here have a parent like that? Where you felt like you had to get these grades and then they approved you? You had to do these things and then they were like, now you're a real man. Now you've made it as a woman. Have, have any of you experienced that? It's like, I've got to do A, B, C, and D to make sure mum and dad are always happy with me. And God says, I'm already happy with you because I've already brought you into my kingdom. This is what it means. We are pursuing his righteousness. Not the righteousness of the world, not the approval of the world, not the approval of TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, getting all the likes, getting all the, yeah, you're amazing, putting up that comment of like, oh my gosh, life's so hard. Oh, baby, poor you. Oh my gosh, you're the best. You're amazing. Oh, now I feel better. It's like, no, no, no. That's not, it's not to say that you can't do that. You can. But ultimately we're going, no, no. I, I know who I am because I know who my God is. And I'm my God's son. You're God's child. There is nothing you can do to get higher up in his order. You're in. The second aspect of righteousness is not just that sense of approval, but the pattern of life in which we conform to his will. And so Jesus is going to say in verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. There's a sense in which his kingdom people live a certain way, righteously, that the world doesn't understand and therefore the world opposes it and starts to push against it and persecutes it. Well, why wouldn't you do sleepovers with your boyfriend or your girlfriend? That's weird. Why, why don't you do those things? Why aren't you flying the, the flag with the rainbow? Like, why aren't you doing these things? And the world will oppose the kingdom and its ethics and the way that the Christians live. And so it's not just speaking of approval, it's also speaking in how we live our lives. 
And what Jesus does is he goes against the scribes and the Pharisees and the way that they are teaching that you get in. Scribes and Pharisees see the kingdom differently than what Jesus is teaching. For a, for a Jew, they are taught, obey the rules, do the law, Ten Commandments, stick to them. Then it starts to go a little bit further. So the Sabbath is no longer just day of rest and worship. It's like don't walk more than 800 miles. That's a long way, 800 steps. Let me just clarify that. Oh, okay, I think I can not walk 800 miles today. Yeah, but some of you fitness gurus, we know what you're like. And that was just for you guys. Stop running half marathons. <laughs> They, they, couldn't, they couldn't eat certain foods. Or, you know, and so all of a sudden, it becomes this hierarchy of all these things that you've got to do. And then if you do them, then you're in. And Jesus is saying, that's not what it looks like. Jesus gets to the heart, as we will soon see, that there is a, a deeper aspect to the kingdom. The kingdom is not just about obeying God's rules. I remember watching a, a movie called The Breakup with Vince Vaughn and Jennifer Aniston some years ago. I don't know if you know that movie. It's, uh, it's a comedy with some horrible actors, but there's, there's a, an aspect of the movie that stuck with me. And it's this argument between Vince Vaughn's character and Jennifer Aniston's where they're like disagreeing and they're having this big fight and she wants him to do the dishes. And so she's explaining the fact that he's apathetic and he's lazy and he never, when she cooks, he never finishes up and cleans the dishes. And they just sit there and, and he's kind of like, well, why would I want to do the dishes? And they have this argument back and forth and back and forth. And it's, it's the idea that's going on in this scene is like, it's not about the dishes. It's that you love me and want my heart. And because you want my heart, you would think about my needs and you'd clean up and do some of the dishes. And all the wives said, I'm, I'm throwing you a bone here, ladies, and you did not take that strongly. Okay, that's the only one I'm giving you. Men, I've got a few for you too. No. And it's a it's great picture of like, there's a difference between doing the thing that is required for the sake of doing the thing. There is another thing altogether to do the thing that is required because you love the person and you are going after their heart. Remember last week we spoke about the fact that for a religious person, it's about breaking God's rules. But for a Christian, a kingdom person, it's not about breaking the rules, it's about breaking God's heart. That's what leads us to mourn. It's not that we did the thing that he said we shouldn't do. It's that we did the thing he shouldn't, said we shouldn't do. And that hurt and wounded the Lord's heart. That's the piece that we go, well, I don't want to live like that. And this is the flip side. It's saying, so we don't just go after righteousness to say, well, let's just do the right thing. We go after righteousness because we say, we want to please our Lord, our King. We love Him. And what is His heart? I want that to be my heart. So if that's how He sees people, that's how I want to see people. If that's how He treats people, that's how I want to treat people. If He cares about the poor, I care about the poor. If He cares about the widow... I care about the widow. Not so I can go, I cared about the widow because that's what my king cares about. And so there's this sense in which we are called as his people to hunger and thirst after God's righteousness. For if we are made by God and for God, then the only way we will experience true satisfaction is if we live with God and live out his purposes.
Next one is blessed are the merciful, for they shall see, uh, receive mercy. Uh, let me just touch on this quickly. This is not saying that the way to get God's mercy is to be merciful. That would mean merit. Okay, what Jesus is saying here is that those who have received this mercy already are those who are now giving that mercy. And one of the evidences that you realize where you're really at in your Christian walk, one of the great tests is how do you go when you get hurt? How quick are you to forgive? How, how much do you harbor and hold on to pain? Those who realize that they have hurt the Lord and yet he has forgiven them, they have mourned. Now they're like, you know what? Yeah, that hurt, but I too will forgive you. And so Christians are the most gracious, merciful, quick to forgive people. Now, let me just put a little parameter on that. Forgiveness is not the same as trust. So if you've been in an abusive relationship, there is a sense in which God would say, I want you to walk towards forgiveness, but it does not mean, forgiveness does not mean that you put yourself back in a position where you can be hurt and wounded again. That is trust. Trust is clearly earned in Scripture. Forgiveness is given. Trust is earned. So you might be in a, a situation where you're in a toxic relationship uh, at work or whatever. It doesn't mean you have to continually put yourself, oh, I'm just going to keep forgiving, keep forgiving. Keep. No, no, forgiveness is no longer holding them to account for their sin. It is not, I'm going to walk towards you and allow you to continue to abuse me. Okay? That needs to be framed in there because I think sometimes we often forget that. But Jesus is saying, those who have been forgiven, those who have received mercy, they are the merciful. Next, verse 8. Let's stay here for a little bit. Blessed are the poor in heart, for they shall see God. Again, Jesus, Pharisees, scribes, different kingdom, different way of seeing the world. Pharisees see the kingdom as an outside-in kingdom. Their, fo their focus in their teaching is external behavior. Do A, do B, do C, don't do D, E, G. Then you're good. Now we look at you and we go, great, you're morally upright. You're in. Uh, Jesus' kingdom is an inside-out kingdom. As you're going to see through this, he's like, you've heard it said, don't do this. But I say, don't even think about doing this. You're like, oh, dang it. <laughs> anger. He's like, anger is not just putting your hands on someone and harming them. Anger actually starts in here when you start to allow seeds of bitterness towards your brother or sister that eventually could lead to you doing some harm, whether that's verbal, emotional, or physical. And so the Pharisees, uh, God's rules are out there. And for Jesus, the rules of God are actually guiding in here. Pharisees see sin as something out there that you do, and Jesus says sin is something that's in here that actually is present within us. And so Jesus constantly throughout this letter, throughout this book, throughout this discourse, is going to keep pointing to the heart. And that is so, so important because it's really easy to do the Christian thing. You can come to church, you can serve, you can give, you can do all the things and have a heart that is far away from the Lord. And Jesus is like, listen, it's the heart that I want. The actions will take care of themselves as I get the heart. The religious elite have got all the actions. Jesus is going to come and say in a, in a few verses, hey, your righteousness needs to exceed theirs. And you're going to go, well, how is that possible? Because the Pharisees, 
Listen up, the Pharisees, most of them are fasting two whole days a week. Right? We do 21 days of prayer and fasting, and some of you have a hard time fasting from Netflix. You know what I mean? It's not even food, right? There's a sense of like, whoa, they give. Most Pharisees are giving closer to 30% of their income away. It's like, whoa, okay. You start to see the Pharisaical righteousness that is external, and you're like, how the heck do I measure up to that? And Jesus is like, well, you need to exceed that. He's going to get to what that means. He's going to say, because it's in your heart. Later on, he says in Matthew 23 to the scribes, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and of the plate, but inside they are full of extortion and rapacity. You blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside may also be clean. What is the heart? The heart is the center of your being. It is who you are at your core. And Jesus wants your heart. Why? Well, Proverbs 4 tells us that we are to guard our heart because out of it flow all of the issues of life. Everything comes out of the heart. Jesus says that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. I didn't mean that. Eh, might have came out of your mouth, so it's possible there's something in your heart that actually feels that way. Have you ever had that argument with someone and you're like, oh, I I know. An inside word became an outside word. Bad. (laughs) I really wish that word could go back on the inside, but now it's outside. I guess I'm sleeping outside. (laughs) There's a sense and sometimes we get in these heat and stuff comes up and you're like, oh, and then at some point you go, you know, there is some truth to that. I'm frustrated by that and we need to work with that. Pure in heart is speaking of being unmixed. It's a singleness of heart. It's undivided. When you read the Old Testament, the idea of being pure is the sense of you have done away with idols. That's the constant reference in the Old Testament, that we are removing the idols from the temple. We're taking these things down because nobody else has our undivided heart. Nobody else has our singleness of mind but Yahweh. And so the pure in heart are those who do away with their idols. Psalm 24 says, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart and does not lift up his soul to an idol and does not swear deceitfully. Now, my guess is none of you here have carved out a bit of wood. Okay, maybe Shane has to build some table in his house. But the rest of us, we haven't gone and got some trunk that we've sort of carved out and we've made it. It's got these little tree arms and, you know, it's got these little legs and we put these little eyes on it and a little carrot for a nose and we've kind of gone and bowed down to this idol, okay? But an idol is in any form in the Bible. We may not in our culture do that, but we may say that money is our God. We are doing everything, and that is what we are going to. That's what's on top of the hill. Not the kingdom, but money and career. And and we start to say, I'm going to reorient my life towards that thing. So I'll sacrifice this thing over here, which ultimately is God. I'm no longer going to do this thing. I'm no longer going to do that thing, and I'm going to start to pursue. And all of a sudden, we're making these small little sacrifices, and then we wake up four years later. We're no longer in church. We no longer are walking with the Lord and with God's people because we have gone after something else. And he is saying, listen, in the kingdom, my people put their idols aside and they love and they serve me. 
What is the reward? Oh, what a great reward. They will see God. Oh, that's a good reward. Do you know what this means? It means two things. One, you get admittance into his presence. See, when a king says, no, 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 you don't get to come and see me. Sorry, nope, that, that man, that woman, they are cast out from my kingdom. They don't ever get to see me again. And when they do, what does it mean? Bad. Okay, I've seen a lot of kingdom movies. It's bad. Old mate says, if I ever see you again, you will die. Right? This is the sense in which he is saying, no, no, you get to see me. You get to come into my very presence. If you have a low view of God, that doesn't excite you. If you have a high view of the, the transcendency of God, the absolute holy purity of God, and he says, come, that excites you because you're like, I don't deserve to know God and walk with God and be in his presence. This is why we have to keep pointing to God being great not small. We cannot be a church that makes God small. He must be otherly. He must be distinct. He must be greater and transcendent and magnificent. Because when you get that, and then he says, come, you're like, oh, that's amazing. I get to know you. But it also means that we get to be comforted by that presence. The psalmist over and over and over again say to the Lord, hide not your face from me. I need you. Thomas Goodwin, he's a famous Puritan. He has this story that he talks about a father who sweeps up his son to kind of explain what it feels like experientially to be in a close communion with the Lord. And he says this. This should come up on the screen. He says, When a father swoops up his toddler's son into his arms, swinging him around and says, You are my son and I love you. In that moment, the boy has in no way become more his father's son in a legal sense. He is and will always be his father's son legally. However, by being caught up in his father's arms, he feels his sonship more deeply and more intimately. There is a sense of the pure of heart as we start to seek the Lord and he starts to change our heart and we don't want anything else. We get to experience him. And some of you in the room, you've never experienced this. It's, it's an idea. But there is something that comes to your soul which says, He is with me and He is good. And yes, I could have that or have that, but none of those things compare to what I have with Jesus. And so there are many ways the Bible speaks about this. 1 John says, But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Romans 8 says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. What this does is it keeps both aspects of God's nature. It's the sense that he is holy and transcendent and he welcomes us in. And there's this holiness, there's this otherliness. And then there is this closeness. There is this father who says, but you're my kid. Come and feel the security of what it means to be a part of my kingdom. Because I will never let you go. I will never forsake you. And I will only ever do what is good.
And you can know that God. You can experience that God. He moves on to say, blessed are the peacemakers. Similar to, to, to mercy, it's the idea that God has, he has been the greatest peacemaker. So we are no longer at war with God. We are at peace with God. And therefore, we go on and be peacemakers as men and women of his kingdom. But lastly, it says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. If you remember the first one, the reward is the kingdom of heaven. The last one, the reward is the kingdom of heaven. This is Matthew doing what we call an ecclesio. He's like, this is what you get. You get the king. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. <laughs> oh, yeah, really, because that feels great. You know, stuff's going bad. Heck, you lease, heck, you lease. Like, we don't sit there and go, hmm. The flag flown high from the castle of my heart. My life really sucks. You know, it's like, no, no, when we go through persecution, when we go through trials, man, it, it hurts, it wounds, it's hard. It's not easy. What Jesus says is like, in those moments, lift up your eyes. Don't just see the temporal problem. Don't just see the temporal circumstance that is in front of you. Look to the hill. Because that's where we're going. And those will get there and be utterly blessed. Now this is not saying that it's blessed to be persecuted for being a jerk. I had a friend once who actually got called into a police station multiple times and was like, I'm getting persecuted because he kept walking around a high school and primary school with his Bible praying every day. And I was like, look, I get it. It's probably something where in our particular culture and context where they need to protect children. So I don't think you're being persecuted for being like a super faithful Christian. You're probably just not thinking about the culture in which you live. I know your heart. Nobody else knows your heart. You look like, a, you look like trouble. I'd put you in jail, <laughs> you know. Um, there are people who are like who are, who are persecuted because they, they work. I'm losing my job and this is bad. It's happening to me. Do you get to do you work on time? No, but so like so. And it's like there is a sense in which sometimes we can be like, oh, all these bad things are happening to me. I'm getting attacked. It's spiritual attack. Okay, maybe or maybe you're being an idiot. And if we are, we don't get to say we're persecuted. Right? Christians do this all the time, and it drives me nuts. It's like, you can be persecuted for righteousness' sake. Where you live and stand for Jesus, even if you do it in a gracious way, he is saying that is different. And he's also saying that will come. This is a good test. Don Carson says this. says, this final beatitude becomes one of the most searching of them all. And binds up the rest. For if the disciple of Jesus never experiences any persecution due to their righteousness at all, it may fairly be asked, where is their righteousness? Is it being displayed in their life? If there is no righteousness, no conformity to God's will, how shall he enter the kingdom? I think in the Christian West, where Christendom has been centered for a long, long time, it was easy to be a Christian. You and I are experiencing that has been shifting. 
And now we are starting to feel what most of history has felt as Christians, which we are not in the, mon- uh, the majority, we are in the minority. We're not as welcome here anymore. We have different sexual ethics. We have different standards for living. And so we are getting marginalized. And listen, if you feel, if you experience the pressure of being a Christian in your workplace, you must lift up your eyes and go, but I know where I'm going. And this is hard. And this sucks. And this is not easy. But look to your brothers and sisters. Pray with your brothers and sisters because we are all starting to experience it. Some of you in the room are going to lose your jobs because you say no. And you need to lift up your eyes to the hill and go, but that's my king and that's my father and he will provide for me. Some of you, like we have, will lose friends because you don't agree on the abortion motive of our culture and you, you see things differently. And you will lose friends because of that. You will be a hater. In your heart, you're standing up for life and they'll say, no, you are standing up for death and you will get persecuted. Church, Jesus promised this and he says, I experienced it. All the prophets experienced it. Every Christian will experience it. You are blessed. Because you know what? You and I don't deserve heaven and that is our reward. So anything in this life that we experience that is negative is greater than what we actually deserve. That's why it's put into this framework of, listen, we don't deserve God. We don't deserve heaven. We don't deserve anything, but we get it. So anything else, we're not entitled. Anything else we experience, we're like, okay, that's, that's hard. I don't have to pretend it's not. It's hard. But I've got God, and I'm with God's people, and I know where I'm going. And one day I will experience the full rewards. So what does this require? Faith. The very thing the Pharisees don't have. Faith. We must trust in our King. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Life Centre Church, located on the Sunshine Coast. We exist to make, mature and multiply disciples and communities that depend upon, declare and display the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of life. If you would like more information about us, please visit lifecenterchurch.com.au. We provide our podcast free of charge. Please feel free to download the content and share it with others. But please do not edit or alter the content in any way without the written permission from the leadership of LCC. 